I've been uh, preparing for quite a while to preach what I'm going to start today. Well, we started kind of pre-deals a few weeks ago on healing and the gospel of the kingdom. And then I was over in Melbourne this week, and I hurt my back, and I thought, oh, I should delay it because I don't feel very good. <laughs> and God reminded me that his word is true no matter how I feel. It's not about us, it's in spite of us. <laughs> and also there's been a lot of people who've been in pain much worse than I've had in much longer. And so I want to get to that this morning, but can we pray? Lord, we open up our hearts to you, to the authority of your word, to the working of your spirit. And we say, God, would you speak your truth to us? Lord, we want to be set free. You said we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. Lord, as we've been singing about breaking chains, I believe that there's something of uh, a freedom that comes that you're wanting to do as we understand the truth of your word. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about being a prophetic people. Being a prophetic people is not just someone who prophesies once in a while, as wonderful as that is, but it's actually hearing what God is doing and preparing to be a part of what God is doing. See, too often we hear about what God did after the fact. But he speaks prophetically, and then faith on our part says, I'm going to hear that and prepare to become that. And so that's really what being a prophetic people is about, which raises the question, what is God doing? Now, uh, I'm going to answer this kind of in a broad sense and a specific sense, but I'll tell you why. Prophetically, he's saying that there is something of an increase in salvations and the supernatural that he's doing in Australia. Part of the awakening thing, but part of other prophetic words, a preaching of the gospel of the kingdom and the confirmation with signs and wonders. Specifically, a healing revival. Now, if that's what God's doing, then we want to be part of that. But how do we know that that's what God's doing? Because we need the spirit and the word. We want to be fully word and fully spirit. When Mary and I, 1984, we moved back to the States after living in Africa for a while. And in 1984, the Olympics were in Los Angeles. And there was a well-known person in Southern California who had a prophetic word that because the Olympics was a focus on man and man's ability, that God was, during the Olympics, was going to bring an earthquake that was going to destroy Los Angeles. <laughs> Obviously, that wasn't God. But how do we know if it's only afterwards? Because everything God says is consistent with what God has said, which is his word. And so we need to know not only the prophetic, but also the word. Being fully word and fully spirit. So is there something in the word about these things? And there is. How many of you know that the, the different feasts in Israel had some sort of fulfillment in the kingdom? Passover being Jesus, reference to Jesus, 
Pentecost being the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Feast of Tabernacles or ingathering is still to be fulfilled. So there's something there that tells us that there's something of God drawing people. Uh, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and healed. Matthew 4.23, he healed all those. The charge he gave his disciples was to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal the sick. So there's something of them being tied together that we need to be aware of. He says in Matthew 24 that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the world and then the end will come. So as we approach the end times, we should expect to see a greater declaration of the gospel with signs and wonders confirming and more people being saved and added to the kingdom. Right? So there is something in the word as well as the prophetic of the spirit. Okay, we always want to have the two together. Otherwise we can get weird. Er. <laughs> for us, God's been talking about the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So in this, there is something of God raising up an army, as we sang, which is us. We actually get to be a part of it. We don't just get to watch it being done somewhere and say, that's great. Years ago, we were, lived in Melbourne, and uh, a friend of mine came to me. He had been reading a book, book by Smith Wigglesworth. And Smith Wigglesworth had been in Melbourne, Australia, in the early 1900s. I forget exactly when, about 1905 or something like that, 1910 somewhere. And uh, had listed a number of miracles. And a friend came to me almost in tears and said, why don't we see this happening today? And just a word of knowledge, I opened up the book to the introduction, and it said that what is listed here took place over a decade throughout the city of Melbourne. And so I asked the church we were part of at that point, gave everyone a three by five card and said, how many of you have personally experienced or been a witness to a supernatural miracle in the last three years? I had 135 cards from one church in three years, as opposed to all of Melbourne for a decade. God's doing some amazing things, but he's wanting to do it through all of us, which is exciting. So let me give you a review before we get into this. Last, I, I talked about this series, and we did a minus three and a minus two and a minus one and now we're actually at one. <laughs> but the focus of that is, one, that Jesus is our focus. He's our source. He's our focus. He's the only one who gets glory. That if we're going to be a part of what God's doing, we have to set our heart that will not rob or touch God's glory. Because as soon as we do, we end up missing it. Second thing was that God's pattern for the church is still the most effective, which is a kingdom of priests. It's all of us. It's not just a few gifted people. It's giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Isn't it exciting that we get to be a part of what God's doing? You want purpose in your life that has an eternal consequence. This is it. If you've been looking for that, this is your answer. And then last week... 
relationship with God and hearing his voice, as Barb shared. That's part of our preparation because everything Jesus did, he said he only did what he heard the Father say. There is a relationship that is key and everything springs out of hearing God. So we want to talk about healing in the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, here's my introduction. I just want you to understand that I want to be accurate representing God and his word because God's word and what he's doing is what we can count on. I'm not trying to motivate you into something. But it's going to take some time. I want to lay a solid foundation, not just for an experience, but for a uh, basis for us as a church impacting our community. And so that's going to take quite a while. So I'm going to ask you to be patient with me over the next few weeks. Because some of you will know this already, and you want to jump forward to the good stuff, whatever the good stuff is. And you're going to say, I know that, I know that, which is great. But this is for all of us. And so some of us don't know it, like me. We're learning. And so lastly, if I raise questions that don't get answered for you, please come and talk with me. Okay? I'm probably aware of your questions, but I probably won't touch everything. Otherwise, we'd be doing this for the next few years. Okay? Great. Turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in the beginning. I want to talk to you big picture first. Again, I've done this with some of you before, but I want to lay a foundation for us as a church. The Bible is God's revelation of who he is and his purpose. It's not what we think about him. It's what he said he is. Okay? Now, most of you accept that, but some of you have never heard that, and you need to hear it again. The Bible is what God says he is. It's not what I want him to be. It's not what I think he should be. And often it's not what I've been told he is. Most of us were being told about God before we started reading the Bible. And sometimes what we've been told colors how we look at it. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired means God breathed. And so it's what God actually said. Let me say this. What God said is his word. We all know that. But there's a big difference between translating what God said and interpreting what God said. Okay, there's a lot of Bible versions that are paraphrases rather than translations. And they're, they're inspiring and they're exciting, but you need to understand that a paraphrase is not the word that God said. You're going, what? <laughs> not that it's wrong, but sometimes we just kind of elaborate on it, but we get someone's interpretation rather than what, what God actually said. You still with me? 
The Bible is our standard. It's the plumb line. I did a, a sermon once a long time ago and I set something under the podium so it was setting sideways. And, they, and in this place I was, they had a picture in the back and I turned the picture so it was a little bit crooked, drove people crazy. During the worship, somebody came up to, to straighten the picture and I made it crooked again. And I said that, that this podium is straight. And everyone goes, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. I determine, I define this as being straight. So if I define this as being straight, who can disagree with me? And so I said, well, you just get a level or a plumb, plumb line. And you put it up there and it becomes a standard. There is a standard, right? If I wrote to the uh, NBA club or the whatever NBL club here and said I was three meters tall and I want to try it for your, your team, they would say, we need this guy. But if I just defined a meter as a third of my body height, right? I could do that. But you would say, no, 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 there's a standard. There's a official place, units of weights and measures that has an official meter that says this is how big a meter is. Or if I, police stops me while I'm speeding down the road and he says, you were doing 150 Ks an hour. I said, no, I wasn't. I was only doing 50. See, I define a kilometer different than you do. Try that one. <laughs> See, we all know that there is a standard that if we don't accept it, then all, what we have is chaos. The standard when it comes to things of the Spirit is the Word of God. It's not what I want it to be. It's not what I think. It's not what I pick and choose. It's what God says about himself. That's the standard. That's the plumb line. And my beliefs have constantly got to be compared to the plumb line, not what I want. You still with me? Yes. Great. Genesis chapter 1. Start at the beginning. Verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. Two words that we see repeated three times in those two scriptures. God's image and rule or dominion. We're made in God's image so that we can have relationship with him. That's what the Bible is about. Jesus said in John 17, three, this is the eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and the son whom you've sent. That they know you, not that they know about you. If you read the... Uh, New World Translation, which isn't a translation, the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. It actually says this is eternal life, that they take in a knowledge of you. Now you can have a knowledge of something without knowing someone. Yes. 
I can tell you about my son who lives in Denver. I can show you pictures. I can describe him. You can have a great knowledge of him, but that doesn't mean you've actually met him or know him. Right? So God's purpose, huh? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to touch that one right now. <laughs> so much for internet dating, she said. There comes a point when we can know about God and not know him. I was raised in a church. I went to church for 11 years before I met Jesus. I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't know him. So God made us with this capacity to have relationship with him. But he also made us for rulership. Right? Relationship and rulership. Those two things are there. He actually gave man this authority. I'm going to tell you why. Into the book, Revelation, tells us something about what the goal was. Revelation 19 from verse 7. Says, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. To her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. He said, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. I said, These are true sayings. Ephesians chapter 5 gives us a glimpse where it says this in verse 32. He's talking about marriage, husband and wife. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So if you get the big picture, when God made man, do me a favor, Josh, stand up here. He's at a boop. When he made man, he had a vision in mind. Christy, come here. Run over there by that side. So he makes man, am I going to mess up the sound here? This is Adam. He's making man, but he's looking down the corridor of time, and he sees this bride. And he makes man with the capacity for relationship and for rulership. Why? Because that's going to be the bride of Christ. What good is a bride without relationship? And what good is a bride of the king of the universe without the ability to understand rulership? So he put those characteristics in there. Great. You guys can kiss each other now. <laughs> Not in public. <laughs> so I want you to get this big picture, because the background of God's purpose and plan, we get from the very beginning. He made us for relationship and rulership, and then something happened. Sin came in, and both were lost, right? We lost relationship with God, but we also lost rulership, authority over the planet. And that's why Satan becomes, is called the ruler of this world. Jesus said that. John 12, 31. In fact, twice he says it. He says, now the judgment of the world and the ruler of this world will be cast out. He's talking about a new authority in 1430. He says, 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Who's he talking about? Talk about Satan. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway or the influence of the evil one. What happened? When Adam sinned, not only was relationship with God broken, but the rulership that God had delegated to him over the planet was taken, was usurped. Satan wasn't just trying to destroy relationship. He was actually wanting to take over. And he did. Now you need to understand that. The rest of the Bible is the story of God's restoration and redemption. Didn't catch him by surprise, but he had a plan. But it will help you understand, if you understand those two things, if you look at the Old Testament, you see two things. You see the tabernacle, which represents the restoration of relationship, God's presence, God dwelling among the people, but you also see the land. Why did they need a land? Because it represents the restoration of rulership. If it were only about relationship, they didn't need a land. They were doing fine with the tabernacle. They could have traveled in the wilderness for the rest of eternity. They were getting by. Why did they need their own land? Because God was not only restoring relationship, but restoring rulership. And if you understand that, there's a lot of things he says. A lot of the uh, rules that he gave them were about living in the land. They weren't about relationship at all. Do this that you might go in and possess the land. I get excited. You still with me? <laughs> Understand these two things is essential. Come to the New Testament and you see this. The restoration of relationship is all about grace. It's all about what God has done. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We, God doesn't love us more. If we do everything right, we can't can't earn God's favor. We can't earn God's uh, <coughs> presence. It's not about what we do. It's all about his grace. You with me? But the restoration of rulership is about partnership and obedience to the Holy Spirit. We're not earning God's favor when we obey what he says. We have that in Christ. But see, there's a whole movements in the church that have not understood relationship and rulership. They've only understood relationships, so they've written off everything the Bible says that has to do with us actually doing something. Obeying Jesus means we're trying to earn his favor. No, it's about seeing his kingdom advanced. Because we have relationship. We don't obey him in order to get his approval. But once we have this relationship, he then includes us in the advancing of his kingdom. We partner with him. We're led by the Spirit. How can you be led by the Spirit if you don't obey the Spirit? Obeying the Spirit doesn't, isn't a requirement in order to get saved. In order to come into relationship. But it is a requirement in order to see the kingdom advanced. What happens if I don't obey? The kingdom isn't advanced. Do I lose my salvation? No. I just lose my ability to partner with God. 
You still with me? <sighs> Deep breath. You need to understand that because what we're going to talk about is partnering with God to see his kingdom advance, but it requires relationship. And if we don't understand that, we get into all kinds of error. It requires intimacy with God. Still with me? Okay. Point number one, which is all we're going to get to today of this long series. Exodus chapter 15. Verse 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to hear his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you which I have brought on the Egyptians. He's not saying, if you do all the right things, I'm going to bless you. He's actually talking about living in the land. He's actually talking about possessing the land. And then he says this amazing statement. For I am the Lord who heals you. This is God's revelation of himself. I'm the Lord, Yahweh, who heals. This is what he says he is. His revelation to people. It's not us trying to figure him out because we can't. He's so far beyond us. It's him saying, this is who I am. I'm a God who heals. I'm a healer. Psalm 103. Some of you, I told you again, I need patience with me. But Psalm 103, verse 3. Verse 2. Verse 1. <laughs> I, like the, I like them all. Verse one, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities. God's a forgiver. He can do that for us because Jesus has paid the penalty. Right? Goes on and says, who heals all your diseases. God's a healer who redeems your life from destruction. He's a redeemer. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He's loving and merciful. Who satisfies your mouth with, new, with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The point is this. God says he's a healer. Now understand, as we talk about this picture, there is natural healing and there's supernatural healing. Okay? What is natural healing? God's actually made our bodies so that they heal, which is wonderful because if you stub your toe, you don't want to have the rest of your life having a stubbed toe. Right? Smart. God's pretty smart, huh? If you cut your finger with a knife, you don't want to go through the rest of your life with a cut on your finger. 
it actually heals. And medicine is people who are helping maximize that healing. It's a really a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. God actually made it that way. You, you sit with me. But in addition to that, God can break in and do the supernatural, which is healing. He can break into the natural order and do something beyond the natural. So when we're talking about healing, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing the sick, we're talking about the supernatural breaking in. We're going to get to that. That's where we're going to get to next week. But you need to understand this. God is not the author of sickness. Now for some of you, that's a challenge. Because you've been taught a theology that says everything is God. Whatever happens is God. But God's just revealed himself as a healer. He actually says this world is under the influence of the evil one who is the ruler of this world. Okay, so when somebody gets sick, it's not God. You know when there's a huge, earth, uh, huge hurricane? We had this huge hurricane in, uh, in the southern part of the states when we lived there. And it destroyed a whole bunch of, of a city, New Orleans. And, and it's called an act of God. But I'm going to tell you, God had nothing to do with it. Now, he did set the world in order, but the world is going downhill because of sin, and Satan is now the ruler of this world. But why do we call it after God? Why do we blame it on him? Good question, huh? If you've got a theology that does that, I'd be happy to talk with you because there is a whole theological argument behind that that you might have been taught, and I would go into it, but the rest of us who haven't been taught that don't really care. And it would take me about 15 minutes, and all the rest of you would be sound asleep by then. I'd say, okay, except for the one or two of you that actually have been taught that theology. Point number one. God is a healer. Now I'm going to ask you, is that your belief about God? Or have you been taught something else? Have your, has your experience made you think something else? I was raised in an evangelical church. And the church I was raised in, we had a prayer meeting every week. And... Uh, when I was raised, we, every time the, the doors were open, we were in church. That's the family I was in, and we were there Sunday morning, we were there Sunday night, we were there Wednesday night, we were every time the doors opened. And I went to this prayer meeting, and we had a funny way of, of approaching prayer. The, uh, the pastor would ask if there were any requests so we can pray, and nobody would respond. And they would say, are there any unspoken requests? And few hands would go up. But how do you pray for something when you don't know what you're praying for? So he would pray, Lord, whatever your will is in this situation, your will be done. But the problem is we didn't know what we were praying for. And 
as a result, we never actually saw anything happen. Now, maybe it did happen, but because people wouldn't say what the, the need was, they wouldn't also say what the testimony was. So I did that, went to those prayer meetings for years as a, as a young person, and it wasn't until many years later that I realized I had a subconscious belief that prayer was a waste of time. See, I was actually at a conference, and I was walking across, across the conference grounds, having learned some things, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you don't believe in prayer. And my thought was, of course I do. I've actually taught on prayer. I've actually been part of prayer meetings. He said, yeah, but you don't pray. See, for me, if there was a problem, I would try and fix it, administrate it, organize it, work at it, put effort, and if nothing worked, then I might pray. And the Holy Spirit was showing me what your heart belief is, is that prayer is the last resort when nothing else works because everything else is more effective than prayer. Why? Because I had an experience that made me look at something. Have you had an experience with God that says, uh, God doesn't actually heal? He's not a healer. His word says he is. Acts 10.38, talking about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. God's not the author of sickness. Satan and sin are the authors of sickness. Now that's the only point I'm going to make today. Because some of you will need to, to do some adjustment and say, okay, is God a healer? Because as we move forward, that's foundational. If you actually believe that God makes people sick, then it's very hard to pray for healing. Would you bow your head? Just so you're not distracted by anyone else. Changing our preconceived ideas, our heart beliefs can be difficult. The way to do it is that there's a ruthless honesty that we have to have and say, God's word says this, but my heart says this. Where does this belief come from? Why am I believing this rather than what God's word says. We're going to go through some of this over the next few weeks. The real question comes down to, is 
God's word, the plumb line for you? Is it the standard by which everything will measure up? Will you say, my beliefs must measure up with the word of God, and if my beliefs are a little bit crooked, rather than redefining the plumb line, I'm going to adjust my beliefs. See, too often, we, what we end up doing is redefining. Oh, man, I'm three meters tall. I've just redefined what a meter is. Do you have a conviction that God's word is your plumb line? Lord, where we don't, we ask that you would bring revelation by your spirit. Where we've been taught something different than your word, we ask that you would highlight it and that truth would come in, that as we go through this series, we wanna see your hand released to confirm the preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders. And we want to be a part of that. So Lord, we say whatever adjustments are necessary in us, please adjust us. That you would receive glory, that your kingdom would be advanced, and that you would be honored. Lord, we're excited to see what's happening, hearing of people being saved like never before, but we want to be a part of it. And so we open up our hearts to you. And we say, have your way. Amen. Amen. Now, we're not going to wait till the end of this series before we start praying for healing. Okay? Because it's not really based on everything we know, though what we do know can make us more usable to God. It's still him. You know, he can use us even when our theology is bad. As my friend Lance says, God uses imperfect people. He has no other choice. (laughs) And he's actually become quite good at it, using imperfect people. So if you need a touch from God, as we're dismissed, there'll be some people here in the front who'd love to pray for you. My expectation is that as we progress through this, we're going to see a greater uh, degree of healing, not only here, but where we live. I have a friend who lives in Warrnambool. You guys met him a couple weeks ago, Paul and Nicole Collinson. And they had a series in their church, a guy who was there for a week, and just about salvation in the sense that what God is doing is the church preaching the gospel and people getting saved. And from that point, they live in a little tiny town. Every week they've seen people saved. Almost every day they've seen people saved. Not in the church, but just people sharing. There's something that the Holy Spirit is doing that we want to be a part of. Amen? Amen. When we stand. If you'd like some prayer, there'd be some folks up here who would love to pray for you. Uh, otherwise, have some coffee and tea. If you've got questions, Mary would love to answer all of them. <laughs> and uh, otherwise, we'd love to see you at uh, our prayer time on Wednesday. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace. Now pour your blessing upon us as we leave and as we go carrying your presence to a hurting world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need some prayer, people would love to pray.